0: I was thinking this past week about a mission project I went to Kentucky on a number of years ago. And on the last night of that mission mission project, we gathered together as a group before we all went to bed uh, for a closing worship. And uh, I thought, uh, uh, as I brought this time to close and as the lights were turned off, I thought it would be a good idea to have a teenager have a flashlight holding it. Uh, as we joined in prayer so that this light in the darkness could connect us all to what the theme was for really this mission project, which was walking in the light. Now, in the midst of this prayer, in the midst of the dark, I had this great idea. I, I thought to myself, um, wouldn't it be great if, I, if we sang together this little light of mine? I'm going to let it shine. Um, and uh, the only problem was that I had not remembered to ask anyone else to help lead the song. So uh, that might not seem to be a problem unless you've heard me sing before. <laughs> then you know that is a big problem. Uh, I opened one eye during my prayer thinking, someone surely is, look- is going to be looking around during this prayer. And well, I can catch their eye and like, invite them to, like through some sort of eye language... To lead the song, um, but all these people had their eyes completely closed during the prayer, and we're not looking up. No one, uh, so so I was left to start the song on my own. Uh, it's the only option I had. So I started, this little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine, and that might sound better than it did uh, back then. But uh, uh, people really couldn't even tell what I was singing. They they. And then they literally began to laugh during the prayer. Um, and then finally, others—finally, others—those who were not laughing, joined in and helped make the message happen, uh, helped the song come to life, and saved me in this uh, poor attempt. Uh, for me, this was a wonderful image of, of how much we needed each other to get through that week on that mission project, but it is even a more important message of how we need to help each other, how we need each other to get through any week that we find ourselves uh, in. Especially sometimes weeks that have new beginnings in them. Like when we move to a new place and started school, or just beginning a new season, or any new beginning that we face uh, together. We need each other because at times we don't have what it takes. Uh, We need others to join in, we need others to to laugh and to help one another get through when the going gets rough. Uh, and it can't get much rougher than me trying to sing uh, in the midst of a quiet room. The reality is it can get a lot rougher. Uh, for, those, for all of us at times in our lives, we know those times in our life that have felt especially rough. And we need others to work with us on the journey that we're on. No matter how much we think we can do, no matter how great we might feel we are, we are not as high and mighty as we think we are, even at our highest and mightiest. You can imagine in our Gospel lesson from Luke this morning in that 14th chapter how embarrassing it is for that person in the parable that Jesus tells. Uh, asked to shift down. Asked to step away. Uh, And perhaps we all have known this feeling in our lives. Uh, When we have felt like we had it right. When we felt like we were deserving. Maybe when we felt we were righteous. When we felt like we had all the answers. When we felt like the going seemed like it was going good. And then we realized. Things were not as hot as we thought. This is not only a lesson in humility that we all find ourselves experiencing, but it is also uh, a reminder of our call to sacrificial service, our call to help others in the midst of humbling times. We have to worry about being puffed up, so puffed up that the spirit, that we have a spirit that drags us down, uh, that doesn't allow us to recognize the hopeful and joyful and loving presence of God that, can, that does lift us up, that does make us whole. Johann von Goethe, the German poet and philosopher, wrote uh, many wise words, but one of the best things he said is that we should treat people as if they were what they ought to be, and help them become what they are capable of being. That we should treat people as if they were what they ought to be and help them become what they are capable of being. I thank God for the people in my life who have had that sort of um, attitude toward me. Jesus in sharing the parable we heard from this morning reminds us that we are all in need of transformation Uh, that we are all in need of others to help us on this journey And that's true for us individually and that's true for us collectively Uh, sometimes politically uh, theologically Intellectually, we can find, and and all sorts of other ways, we can find ourselves feeling like we are on the top of the heap, top of the hill. We're at the top place at the table. That's a dangerous place. That's a place where we find ourselves too often closing our ears because we just want to hear the beautiful sounds that are in our own mind or in our own heart. We're filled only with our own fears and our own worries. We're not not opening our eyes, we're not opening our ears, we're not opening our heart to the realities of the others in this world that we live in. The reality is, uh, like in the Gospel parable, there are plenty of people in this world who want to keep others down. We can't be those people. that we know that there are people, there are plenty of people who are not even invited to the table at all. That there are plenty of people who uh, never have a chance of moving up. And plenty of people who feel hopeless about it all. And that there are plenty of people who don't believe that there are people of God who care at all about it. There are people who say today is not the day when it's right for us to give up whatever it is that keeps us from being the beloved community that we're called to be. But Jesus reminds us that there's never a wrong time to do the right, to do the right thing. And we are called as the toolkit of God on this morning, in this place uh, to act today, to get to work today in our world, in our lives, to set things straight. To recognize that this world does not revolve around us, no matter how wonderful we might feel in any moment of our lives, and to be open to the reality that is the other. And to think about how we can hear not only the fears and worries that so often fill our lives, but hear the fears and worries that fill the lives of the people around us, and to somehow, in our own way to express a love and a hope that again not only resonates with us but can resonate with the others in our lives, all of us know when in our own individual lives, when we have broken something or sprain something uh, on our body, or, or, or we get a little out of shape in some way, it takes a lot of hard work to get back to where we were. It's not easy, but it begins that rehab process, that reclamation process, begins with the first step. Without being open to the first step, nothing else is going to follow. So, so even if we as individuals in getting to work in this way start a little shaky, a little out of tune, you have to believe we have to make sure for one another that there will be others who help us keep up the beat. That that's what we're called to do as a community for one another. This is true for people on a mission project in Kentucky or anywhere else for a week. And this is also true for the mission project which is our church in this place at this time today. How do we live as a beloved community and how does that beloved sense of beloved community get reflected in all that we do? So to those who walk by this place, who somehow find their way into this place can feel not only the welcome of this place, not only the comfort of this place, but the challenge of this place to, to be the people we are called to be. To be that, those people, never mind about what we do, it's just about who we be as loved children of God with all that we need to bring change into our own lives and change in this world. This is what St. Francis was talking about in that prayer written so long ago each of us, like Francis of Assisi, have to join in asking God to help us make, in making us an instrument of God's peace. So that where there is hatred, we may sow hope. Where there's injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there's despair, hope. Where there's darkness, light. And where there's sadness, joy. That sounds good to me. If we can, in some small way, as a church as a people, as individuals, make this prayer come alive in our lives, then it is a good day's work in God's eyes. We have got out of the toolbox that God, we find ourselves unable to get out of at times, and put in, we've been put ourselves into play in this world. Even if we do it imperfectly, even if we need help, We begin to walk in the light of Christ that each of us are capable of walking in if we take that first step. Sunday is just the beginning of a week of days where God is alive. And how do we help people feel the living presence of God? As Isaiah reminds us all, if you answer the call of God, the call call God has for you, your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom will be like the noonday." That seems like a good day. There's no question there's work to do, and there's no question we might not do it right all the time, but if we put ourselves in Christ's hands, I do believe that miracles can happen in our lives individually and in our country as a whole. Our days, our lives, how we define a good day's work will all be transformed right before our eyes and the light of Christ will shine. And amazingly enough, it will shine in us. It will shine in you. So my prayer is that as you, we come together for communion this morning, if you take that piece of bread and dip it in that cup, you reflect on what it means to be the body of Christ what it means to be a part of the cup of salvation. As you feel the love of God being poured into you, that you commit yourself not just to keep it for yourself, but to think about those ways that you can make it flow, whether that means in your school, in your neighborhood, in your work, in your family, wherever that might be. We're called to a good day's work reflecting the light of God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for bringing us together on this Labor Day weekend. We thank you for the new beginnings in our lives. We thank you for the continuing steps on the journey. We thank you for the opportunities you place before us to bring transformation into our lives and into the lives of those around us. If anyone comes this morning feeling especially burdened today, if anyone comes this morning feeling especially overwhelmed or filled with fear, allow them to feel and to hear you speak their name, to sense the love that surrounds them and holds them, to allow them to know, to allow each of us to know that Tomorrow will be okay because it's a tomorrow you hold in your hands. Guide us on this journey as individuals. Guide us as a church. Open us up to the possibilities you place before us. We pray these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. And now let's sing together on page 2216 of the Faith We Sing hymnal. It's the Black Faith We Sing hymnal. When we are called to sing your praise. stand if you
1: wait. Will you pray? O oh Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength, our rock, and our redeemer. The prophet Jeremiah had a tough job in tough times. A few hundred years prior, the kingdom of Israel had split into the northern kingdom, also called Israel, and the southern kingdom, called Judah. The northern kingdom had fallen a few decades prior to Jeremiah's time to Assyrian armies. But now Assyrian power was waxing, with the Babylonians and the Egyptians jostling for position in the vacuum left behind. Jeremiah was part of an ongoing debate among the leaders of Judah. Should they take this as an opportunity to step out from under the influence of foreign empires, forging their own path? Or should they become vassals of one of the empires, controlling their day-to-day operations but ultimately nestled under the authority of another ruler? Some argued that it was time for Judah to live into the memory of the United Kingdom of Saul, David, and Solomon. After all, God had made a covenant to establish David's throne forever. How could they lose? Others, of whom Jeremiah was one, believed to go toe-to-toe with the superpowers of the ancient Near East was a sure recipe for destruction. At the same time, sweeping religious reforms launched by King Josiah revealed pressure points regarding the interwovenness of faithful worship, national identity, and political loyalty. The times were complex and dangerous, and Jeremiah was called to speak the Word of God into these moments. The Word of God is an unpredictable thing. It shatters expectations and reveals our facades of control, of permanence, of pragmatism, as little more than facades. The Word of God can be a destructive thing. The passage today tells us that the word God placed in the mouth of Jeremiah had the capacity to to pluck up and pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. In light of the turmoil facing Judah, some leaders attempted to convince folks that there was nothing wrong, nothing bad could happen, everything would work out. To this, Jeremiah cries out in chapter 6, verse 14, they have treated the wound of my people carelessly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. The injection of the word of God into the political and social realities of any given time disrupts the illusion of the status quo and commands an honest accounting of the way things are we as Christians believe that the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. The Luke passage for this day finds this word become flesh teaching in a synagogue. Now before moving forward with an interpretation of the gospel for today, I must first take a moment to state clearly that there is a long and dangerous tradition of Christian preaching and thought that plays Jesus over and against the form of Judaism of which he was a part. So often we talk about a monolithic form of Judaism, frozen in a particular time and in a particular place, more concerned with religious purity than human compassion, and then discuss Jesus as the antidote to this religion. This reading neglects the depth and complexity of first century Judaism and limits our understanding of the Christ that was found nestled in this context. This reading, when preached, is lazy biblical scholarship that casts Christianity as the torchbearer of a Judaism that was left in the first century and is therefore no longer relevant. It is this same theology called supersessionism that was found explicitly stated in the manifestos and social media posts of Christian terrorists who have committed acts of violence using firearms in Jewish places of worship. We as Christians bear a responsibility to challenge the streams of thoughts and ideologies that stand as frameworks for this form of violent hate. As such, it's important to note that the story we have before us is of Jesus, a Jewish man, healing a Jewish woman, who the text explicitly states is a daughter of Abraham within a Jewish community. In fact, the argument he makes for his healing on the Sabbath is an argument that draws on the traditions of the Hebrew Bible. In our passage, Jesus states, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie their ox or donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? A chapter later, after healing on the Sabbath again, Jesus states, if one of you has a child or an ox that has fallen into a well, will you not immediately pull it out on the Sabbath day? This is a direct reference to both Exodus chapter 23, verse five, and Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse four, which demand that the faithful rescue a neighbor's or even an enemy's animal if it falls into a pit. Jesus is connecting this tradition to his present moment and drawing the argument to extend from an ethic of care for an animal to an ethic of care for a human person. It is important to remember, like Jeremiah, Jesus was a participant in ongoing conversations and dialogues. Throughout Christian history, Jesus' statements are read as Christian statements, although Jewish thinkers at the same time said things very similar to what Jesus said, whereas his opponents are understood as being Jewish. This neglects the reality of first-century Christianity as a group within Judaism and collapses first-century Judaism into a two-dimensional monologue. In this, I come back to Jesus as the Word of God. Jesus was not unique because of what he said. Other folks said what he said. He wasn't even unique in how he lived. There are reports of other healers and teachers and leaders in the area at the same time. He wasn't unique in how he died. Many folks were crucified by the Romans for actions that were seen as a person. As Christians, we believe that Jesus was unique because of who Jesus was, fully divine and fully human, making intelligible the heart, the character, and the nature of God, and revealing for us what it means to be fully human. It is the means of being for Christ, God in the flesh, that makes the things Jesus said and did, how he was born, how he died, and how he was resurrected, truly remarkable. Jesus was crucified like other criminals, yes, but this means God was crucified. Jesus lived a life of mercy and justice like other people, yes, but this life serves as a model for how we are to live thousands of years later. Jesus entered into dialogue with people Perhaps reflecting conversations happening around the Jewish diaspora of the first century, yes. But this indicates that God enters into conversation with God's creation, perhaps offering insight into the nature of prayer. Jesus was born, lived, and died in a body like every other person, yes. But in being God, perhaps this incarnational life allows for us humans to be drawn ever closer into the divine. It is upon this foundation that we enter the text. Set in another time of great turmoil for Israel, the Romans had conquered the Holy Land, and again, those who stood in the shadow of empire had to figure out how to respond. Perhaps this is why the synagogue leader reacted to the miracle in his midst with indignation. With everything that was going on, With forces pulling bodies and minds every which way, maybe he was trying to maintain a semblance of control for those with whom he was entrusted spiritual leadership. Did you notice in the text that the leader does not confront Jesus about his action? Instead, he repeatedly tells the crowd that they should come on any of the other six days to be healed. Instead of blaming the man who performed the healing, he blames the woman who was healed. How often do we react with indignation towards marginalized folks simply because their plight is seen? How often, in the face of the miraculous, do we prefer to maintain the mundane? Yes, it is to this that the Word of God steps in and offers a new possibility. Things aren't as they have to be. Things can be made new. The individual can be cared for. Community can be restored. We can rejoice even in the face of injustice. Our ideas of what is appropriate in worship can be challenged. Maybe this is a call to repentance for the United Methodist Church. Our denomination has been so concerned with what can and cannot happen within the sanctuary that we have ignored the possibility of healing in our midst. We as a denomination have reacted with such anger to the idea that LGBTQ folks are beautiful and beloved and made in the image of God, that we have missed the way God has been moving in our presence, reconciling, redeeming, opening new possibilities for what it means to be the church. Perhaps this story is a call to repentance for our body politic. Maybe we are so concerned with maintaining comfort, homogenous relationships ingrained biases and pacifying narratives that we are unwilling to face the difficult truths in the world manifesting around us. And how these difficult truths manifest. My friends, I have heard it said that the world's lungs are on fire. Agents of our government are working to make it possible to detain families for an indefinite amount of time for crossing a border. White supremacist violence, both planned and carried out, is surging. Our president commits blasphemy by allowing himself to be called the King of Israel and encouraging a claim that he is the second coming of God, calling himself the chosen one while dog-whistling to the apocalyptic elements of our own tradition. The policies, the institutions, the ideologies, and the systems that allow for, for these travesties and idolatries, and so many others, continue to rise before us like walls of granite, immovable, eternal, unchanging. It is difficult to see the cracks in the feet of these bronze statues. Yet, as the scripture reveals to us, the word of God is moving and changing, planting and harvesting, undoing and recreating, imagining and destroying, healing and breaking. The church cannot fear broken things. The church cannot fear breaking things. We worship a God broken upon a cross. We call ourselves the body of Christ, yet at least monthly we take bread we know as the body and we break it so that people might be nourished. We believe that God drew living water out of broken stone to satisfy the thirst of refugees in the desert. Our God does not turn God's face away from the shattering, cracking, fracturing, splitting, demolishing, rupturing, and tearing. The word of God calls us to a higher imagination and empowers us into the work of revealing what is true and good and beautiful. Despite all of our excuses, that we are too young, too old, Not smart enough, not educated enough, not loud enough, not eloquent enough, not religious enough, not anything enough. All these things pale in our commission to the calling of being Christian. Despite our excuses that this is not the right time nor place, not in Cambridge, not at Harvard, not in Trump's America, not in the church, we are reminded that God's word reveals the capacity for restoration as well as destruction. God has placed God's word in your mouth and has called you to the work of speaking truth, even when the truth is inconvenient, even when the truth is disruptive, even when the truth calls us to a deeper and more difficult engagement. Ultimately, the word of God will show us that what is isn't what has to be, that our hope as Christians is grounded in the faith that God desires for a new creation, a new kingdom, A new way of being for ourselves in connection with one another within God's creation and relationship with God. As we gaze upon these structures of destruction, we find the heart of God's commission of Jeremiah. If it ain't broke, break it. Break the narratives that cast some of those who are made in in the image of God as less than human." Break the patterns of thought that allow us to acquiesce to an unholy status quo. Break the images of what the perfect body, the perfect life, the perfect job are. Break the norms and expectations that restrict people's capacity to live as God has created them. Break your own habits and patterns of behavior that make you complicit in injustice. Just as God broke the dichotomy of divine and human in the person Jesus, break the structures that limit our capacity to know the divine and to live as fully human. It is only in revealing these things as impermanent, as the teetering houses built upon sand, that we can begin to imagine the world as God desires it. It is when we speak the words that God has given to us faithfully that we begin the work of healing the wounds and ailments that afflict ourselves and all of creation. My friends, in this season of discouragement and uncertainty, of violence and destruction, hear this good news. Well, perhaps more inconvenient news, or difficult news, or news that makes our stomachs drop. God is doing a new thing. God is doing a new thing. But we cannot retreat into pithy aphorisms and paper-thin declarations of faith. We can't retreat into moving the responsibility of speaking God's word and participating in the healing of creation. We can't move that off of our shoulders. I believe that God has a purpose for creation. A golden thread cast throughout history with which we find ourselves dancing. As we seek to live a faithful life and indicate towards God's unbreaking kingdom. But I believe that this faith demands active participation, not withdrawn quietism. I am a Methodist after all. As is, creation will not save itself. White supremacy will not crumple. Gun violence will not vanish. All manifestations of the darkness of the human heart will not disappear on their own. The prophet Jeremiah recognized this reality, and this was the foundation of his hesitancy to accept God's call. There is very little certainty in faith. As St. Augustine wrote of his own faith journey in the fourth century, he sought not so much the certainty of God as stability in God. Perhaps then in our own times of tribulation and destabilization and fear, we can find something empowering, something moving, something centering, something upon which we can stand, something surprisingly relevant in God's words to the young prophet. Hear these words from Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Do not say, I am only a child, for you shall go to all to whom I shall send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms, to pluck up and to pull down to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. May these words be a source of strength to you in this next semester, in the new chapters of life, in the midst of your mundane, in the coming days, weeks, months, and years, in all the ways you are called to live faithfully, truthfully, and courageously. Let us pray. Creator God, you have knit us together and placed your words in our mouths. Grant that we may be empowered to deliver these words in ways that lead to healing, restoration, and justice, so that we might bear witness to the work that you are already doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us now join together in singing hymn number 2123, In the Black, the Faith We Sing, hymnal,
0: Loving Spirit.